0: Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community.
1: Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com or go to the Hyper Clean Specialist group there on Facebook. That is the way to really interact and everybody that goes and messages Nick and I, we do appreciate it. We do always like to also say, hey, your message about, you know, something around the HyperClean products, around HyperClean to us personally, it is much better. Go ask that question out into the specialist group. That's why we designed it and put it there. It is a much better way for you to get questions answered. A lot of stuff today we're going to talk about that comes out of specialist group and people get their questions answered in a much better way, Nick.
2: Absolutely. Hey, uh, let me ask you, can you check and see if your microphone is on? So I just want our people to have the best, uh, (laughs) the actual best listening experience they can have. And, uh, so yeah, if you're all good, then just wanted to make sure. And, uh, yeah, the specialist group to me, and and you kind of said it really well there is that the specialist group is a place where you can go into a lot of people that are, using the products every single day, doing uh, stuff with the products every day. They're using it in a multitude of ways. So you're going to get an actual better overall view of what each product can do. Right. And that's why you should utilize the specialist group, because you and I sometimes don't have time to get back to everybody uh, in, in a timely manner. You know, we get so many messages. We do our best. But, yeah, you got to utilize that specialist group.
1: All right. So we're going to get some buy and sell. I am, uh, I'm going to be selling today, but I'm going to be selling right after I enjoy some of this Boulevard wheat. This is one of the first beers I remember drinking long, long time ago that I, I go, okay, that's a different beer. Like I could, I could taste the difference of what craft meant as opposed to, you know, all the other regular stuff, real general. We used to have one called a Chalk here that was a local, it was from Craig, and it was that unfiltered wheat beer like it love that is that a midwest thing are you a wheat beer guy there in vegas or it's just high nooners and ultra like, like that's
2: yeah it's it's nooners and ultra in my fridge maybe some bikini blonde from maui brewing every now and then but yeah no i i know people what was the uh the most popular one of those that people could order it came in like a a perfectly clear bottle. Oh, man, what was it called? People love that beer. Hmm. I forget what it is. But, yeah, a lot of my buddies, when when we would go out to the bar and stuff in, in, in and around Columbus, they'd always order, like, a real weedy beer. And I was just like, no, nah, I'm good, man. I'll I'll stick with the ones I like.
1: Yeah, and usually they're in some type of a dark uh, type of bottle and usually aren't in a lager. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, those I, will go into a light one. but That's
2: why yeah. I forget what it is, yeah. But, yeah. no, I, a lot, I know a lot of guys that like that kind of beer.
1: All right. I'm selling today. Uh, I'm selling. And this, is, this is, listen, I, I, I guess I officially have to sell the, the charging little pads that people are putting in vehicles. What's the point in them? Why do you put a charging pad in a vehicle if you're not going to put your phone on it? Oh yeah. So, so here's the here's the reason I'm selling it, and you guys can all be in the same situation. You'll laugh and you'll cuss at the exact same time. I go to put my phone on the charging pad this weekend just to go put it in there because we're driving around. There's a bunch of shit on there. Just so happens to be some Ray Bans. Hmm. And what did I get scolded for? Putting my phone on her expensive (laughs) Ray-Bans. You know, they point out that I just paid, you know, X amount, little bit for mine. Yeah, that's the way I like my sunglasses. Oh, but your sunglasses need to be on the charging pad inside the car that is built for the phone. Okay. So what I do, This right, this is why you laugh at the same time. I just put my finger up press that little plastic thing up at the top and let the (laughs) sunglass holder fall down. (laughs) Enough said. She gets her sunglasses and puts them up there and closes. Like, yeah, right? That's why we got this, right? All those engineers did a great job at Nissan (laughs) and they put this charging pad for a phone, not your fucking sunglasses, right?
2: Yeah, (laughs) now that, that, when people don't use things how they're designed, it, it does get aggravating, especially when you're trying to charge your phone, right? They made it so convenient to charge your phone. Why not utilize it? You know, get a little charge on your phone while you're driving to the store or whatever. You know, it's like, hey, let's just utilize it. I'm going to sell this week. And so I've gotten, you know, gifts of this. And I know I'm going to hurt some people's feelings today because maybe you're one of these people. We got to be done with the Apple Watch. Okay, got to be done. If you're a man, get yourself a timepiece. Okay, get yourself a real watch. Seiko. I can I get you a Seiko. Uh, you know, hey, if you're making a little money, get yourself a Rolex. I don't care what you wear. Okay, but get yourself a timepiece. And so, I got a buddy. He shows up. We're yesterday. We're gonna watch the 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 Nuggets game. He lives down the street, a couple miles. He comes in. He goes, "Oh, check this out." I go, what the hell am I looking at? He goes, oh, I just got this new Apple Watch. I said, yeah, you need your emails that bad? Like, you already have a phone, right? The phone's always with you. Have you ever seen somebody with an Apple Watch without their phone? Honestly, their whole, their whole thing is, well, then I don't have to carry my phone everywhere. I said, where's your phone? He goes, in my pocket. I said, so you have your Apple Watch. He's like, well, you know, it's for those times. I said, let's stop you look so ridiculous with this thing on your wrist. Okay. I have some watches in there. I promise that I don't wear anymore. I'll be glad to give you one. Like if you'll just take this thing off. And we sat there for like 20 minutes and this dude, I said, again, tell me when I've seen you without your phone. Never happens. You don't need your emails and text messages on a, on your wristwatch. By the way, it looks stupid. There. Buy yourself a timepiece, would you please? Like, I'm done, okay? I'm nobody that makes a lot of money is sitting there like, oh, yeah, look, I got my text messages faster. Matter of fact, when you actually get busy, you want people to have less ways to contact you. So the way to tell me you aren't busy is to wear an Apple watch, to wear a Samsung watch, to wear whatever those watches are, smart watches. Got to be done with them look ridiculous. I'm out. I'm selling.
1: I wore one of the Samsung version before I switched over to iPhone. I was an Android user for a long time. I was sold on the fact that you're supposed to be able to have this watch and go back in the day to James Bond and press a button and have a conversation off of your watch.
0: Yeah. That did not ever work. <laughs> I was like w- going uh, down the like uh. holding it to
1: my ear, right? Mm. So then you go, oh, why don't you just get some AirPods in?" Exactly. Yep. Never worn one since. Never yep. worn one since. Like
2: no. I could it, see it,
1: I'd be cool, like some things and stuff. And then at the verse, I would always do the same thing as you, and I would go, but I would just rather have my phone. It's got a bigger screen, like.
2: Yeah. And it's just like proof. And we're all guilty of this in aspects of our life of just redundancy that you're telling yourself is value, but you're just doing, you could just do it easier. You know, it's like some things when people tell me, oh, I don't need my laptop. I just use my phone for everything. Well, there's something that's just easier on a computer. It's just easier. It's faster. It's quicker. You can see it better. You don't make as many mistakes. Like we can do a lot on our phone, but now let me make the screen an inch by an inch. And, like you said, I'm screaming into my watch. I can't text message back really quickly. What are we doing here? And so, yeah, me and my buddy like went dude, I was just absolutely tearing him apart for like thirty minutes, just joke after joke, after joke, and he goes, finally, he just took it off. He goes, "Dude, I'm not wearing this thing around you. I said, "Perfect. You can go to my watch collection and you can pick one out like if you want to be an actual dude and and it was it was just funny, and again. It's all in jest. If you have one, you like it. It's just, it's just jokes. Uh, but I I can't find a need for it. And I have like three of them. I've gotten them as gifts. I, I never have worn any of them.
0: Well, ever, ever. You didn't at least put it
1: on and look in the mirror for a little bit.
2: No, no. no. I, I put it on and said, how the hell am I going to use this thing? I did that. I mean, I still couldn't figure it out. I mean, maybe I'm the idiot. I don't know, but I couldn't figure out how it was easier than my phone.
1: Uh, so you got plenty of people whether it's uh, you know, inside the collection world what you deal with or it's just customers or what about this guy or buddies of yours? Like do you struggle with how much do you let somebody just enjoy their car the way they want to enjoy it?
2: Oh, uh, like, I, I I used to struggle, yes.
1: You used to? Yeah. So Then what changed?
2: I started to realize I was screaming into the abyss, Ah, right? uh, Like that's what I kind of realized is let me give you an example. You got those buddies that have nice cars and you see that they're not really that nice. They could be so much nicer, but they enjoy their car. They love their car. And you're like, Okay, how much can I bust his balls anymore? Like, they're never going to see it the way I see it. They're never going to take care of it on the level that I think that car should be taken. And so you know what? He loves his car. He enjoys his car. I, I just kind of honestly, probably more than ever, I don't really give much opinions to my buddies about cars unless it's directly like they're asking me something very direct.
1: So as a detailer though, we struggle with the moment that I had just, you know, we didn't get to have an episode last week. So I'm going back a couple of weeks, you know, we were both kind of enjoying a little nice time. You were by the pool with the net and I was, you know, on the back patio with the beer. Yeah.
0: The infant uh, that's funny.
1: (laughs) So we didn't catch up on this kid car that I had in. And that's really where I began to question, right? Like, so this guy won this kid car at a St. Jude's auction, and he's, he's pretty happy about it. He knows it's not some amazing piece of machinery, it was somebody made it, and supposed to resemble something, and they said it's fun to go around in, and he likes it.
0: Cool. Well, it's in pretty bad shape. You know, that paint, it, <laughs> we would look at it, and, well, I pretty much did
1: throw up. It, it was disgusting, the way, the amount of paint lines, the amount of uh, blends the amount of crap in the clear coat that never oh, yeah. even got got out uh you you could see it in you know so it had a white weight racing stripe i was gonna let the guy enjoy every aspect the way he until i just got into it too much and i had to take the time when he picked it up and i felt bad a little bit to show him how yeah. bad this thing that he really liked actually is and i go Oh, you know, there's a point where we have to show them as, you know, customer to you know yep. uh to the to to us, the the company, because I didn't want him to have somebody over right? this is that point where somebody, oh well somebody, right? And we go back yep. to that joke of somebody could point out that but at this level it was so bad. I felt like I had to show him and I could also tell that it bummed him down a little bit. Yeah. I, I no, I've, 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 I've
2: had this on high profile builds, like, you know, famous guys that have TV shows and, you know, these guys are waiting two and a half years on a car to be built. The car gets here and I'm like, Oh my God, like the door gappings off and the paint looks like crap and there's dirt that needs to be, you know, de-nibbed. And you do have to draw the line. If that person doesn't see it, doesn't really want it fixed because they don't see it. How much do you just step back and go, okay, this person probably, and again, like you said at a silent auction, didn't spend no money, spent some decent money on this thing. You know, where do you draw the line? And, and that's tough for all of us, right? But I, unless I'm directly asked these days, like I just had somebody buy a brand new Mercedes. And they're showing me pictures and they're like, what do you think? And, and I just go, awesome, man. Glad you got it. Like, are you happy with it? Yeah, I'm happy. Awesome, man. Like that's, that's where I've had to get myself. Now, when I started, I was not that guy. I was, I'll give you my opinion. I feel like you're asking me for it, even though you didn't ask me for it. And yeah, man, I mean, you got to learn. There's, there's the law of diminishing returns right? I can't create a win by being the jerk. So, you know, if they do see it, I'll be honest with them. They ask me a specific question about it. I'll be honest with them. If it's just general, man, this thing's cool. What do you think about it? It's like, yeah, man, it's cool. And I, I kind of stop it there now. I mean, I'm real. I actually had somebody say this to me recently, like within the last six months, they're like, Hey man, you, you didn't really say much about my car." And I said, yeah, man, I, I like, it. it's cool, man. You like it? Yeah, I like it. Great. He goes there, you did it again. You didn't really say anything. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want me to say, man? Like, what, what question do you want me to answer? It's like, what do you think about this? And, and then you're just like, oh no, man, I, I wanted to avoid this. And that's what I told him. I said, look, this is what I want to avoid because I have all of this information in my brain I just see things differently than everyone else that I'm around, right? Some of these guys are in construction or they have a law office or they're a dentist or whatever they do for a living. And so it's not really fair for me to come into your parade and rain on it, right? And that's what I told him. I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. And and I, I, I have had people notice that I've taken a big step back in giving any opinion just in general on cars or what they look like. Like dude, if you're paying me, let's talk about it. If not, I'm out.
1: So, because we didn't record last week, we got two winners that we need to give away today, two pint glasses. And we're curious with the Oakland A's new stadium, that's a big announcement. Oh yeah. Will there be some uh, pints, uh, you know, consumed at the Oakland A's stadium? Huh? Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah, it's a big big thing here, so I'm I'm pretty fortunate one of my good friends is part owner of the AAA team here. They just built a brand new stadium. It looks like the A's are going to play in that stadium while they're awaiting uh, going into the new stadium. I don't know if that's finalized yet. I haven't talked to them in in the last like 10 days, Uh, but Vegas is going to go from zero teams to basically all four major sports are going to be here because the word is the NBA is going to expand and Vegas is going to get a team. So you're going to have all four major sports here this one's actually going to be built on the strip. They're going to tear down the trop uh, is the word, the 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 storied Tropicana. So it's going to be built like right in the middle, right in the heart of of the strip. And, you know, look, seeing the growth of this city and, and, you know, it was kind of a pariah for sports, right? Because of gambling and this and that. And now every major sport's cashing in on sports gambling. So they're trying to run to the Mecca here. And yeah man it's 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 going to be amazing right it's watching a town grow up right in front of your eyes basically
1: that was already grown up
2: yeah i mean now you're just adding and this is what i tell everybody you know when you when you live here you don't the strip is a different city right it's not that's not vegas and so now you have all these high tier things going on i've told you near my house they're building a brand new casino near my house as well as the best food court in the world is being built separate right across the street. Right. I mean like a mile and a half from my house. And so you look at what this city's doing and now you can take all the talent from the strip and you can put it into the hockey stadium. Like if you go to a hockey game here, the production value in that arena, nobody believes me till they live it. And they're like, Oh yeah, I went to hockey in you know, my city and it's nothing like, because now, look, you got all the talent from the strip all these years in the football stadium, in the 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 NHL arena. You're going to have that in the ballpark uh, for the A's. I mean, that's the benefit. And so you do everything at this heightened level because it's Vegas.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's different types of Vegas talent
0: that uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. People well, if, you, if, you go, a... if you go to, if
2: you go to the football game. They got they got <laughs> some things in, in one of the end zones. Let me tell you, it's real. <laughs>
1: High level. <laughs> All right. So let's get to some of these winners. Uh first we've got to do the restaurant that was bad. Uh we both talked through it. We're both going with Rachel here. It, listen, it's I first I love the way she described the location. She put out really good information, put us into the place. Mm-hmm. I could visually see it. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, slimy gross. And then we can appreciate definitely then what she did. Water drinks paid for them, and they're like, "We're out."
2: Yeah, like, we're not eating here.
1: We we know what's coming out of this, and yeah. we're just gonna go ahead and 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 bow food out. Po- like... Food
2: poisonings, what's <laughs> coming next? Yeah. So look, I thought Billy had a great story, but I'm gonna let Billy know here because I know he's listening. And Billy, there will be no White Castle slander ever approved on this show uh, because I I have some family that that were real deep ties uh, to, to White Castle and I got a soft spot because I don't care what anybody says. I like the food. Uh, maybe you don't. That's fine. Uh, but, yeah, Billy had another a good story as well, but I, I apologize, Billy. We will not be rewarding White Castle slander on the Pints and Polishing podcast.
1: I have only had White Castle one time, and that was in Old Vegas.
2: Oh, and it's like four hundred dollars for some cheeseburgers. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. But there's like four locations here now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, one time. Yeah,
2: yeah. One time. Well, there was look, that one some people, hey, some people have taste, Marty. What do you want to say?
0: Yeah, it's called Whataburger.
1: <laughs> I'm always going to throw a Whataburger over In and Out uh,
2: over
1: White Castle any day. All right, so we'll get Rachel whole pint glass. Ah, uh, second one is, what car would you clean for free? Wow. Listen, I definitely dove in and 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 hung a, a real tight knit with Daniel's response because I used to clean my mom's car for free. She would bring me pizza as a mobile detailer on a Friday. She would come meet us at wherever location we were, bring me and the guy's pizza, and we'd wash her car for her. Like, wow. absolutely. That's a great way to take care of your mom. I know there were some other people that put mother-in-law's family members Daniel, love it. Free wash, clay, and spray coat for yeah. his mom.
2: Yeah, you can't. Uh, you can win pretty easily on that one by bringing up your mom. We all have a soft spot. When I first got into detailing, I would do my mom's car for free. Actually, what she didn't realize is I was testing most of my skills on her car. So maybe things didn't all always pan out the best uh, when I was getting my start. But yeah, no, she. Anytime you, you take care of your mom, so Daniel's going to get the pint glass, but other good stories too. You know, guy brought up the Supra because that's his been his dream car since he was 16. Uh, all those kinds of things that we all have those those cars, right? Those things that we would do for free. But the funny thing is, as you get further in business, you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that for free.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, we, we did talk about that. There are some times that I will go and wash some people's, whether it's been videos, photos, like. We talk about a win-win. If there's a win-win for both of us, if my win is that I'm going to get to use this car for something, I don't mind winning for that person and taking care of their bill.
2: Oh, yeah. Huh? No, and, and that kind of stuff. Look, we we have certain services that we'll do uh, for certain customers here and there where it's just like not worth having the conversation. They've been such good customers. They ask for something quick. And it's like, I'm not even going to have the conversation, guys. Just handle it, right? Let's just get this handled. I'm not going to ask them for 50 a bucks, 100 bucks. Like, they they bring us a ton of business. Just, just throw it in there. I, I think we all kind of do that, right? I mean, at some point, you, you, you do take care of people in your business here and there. And, you know, it, it comes back to you.
0: You
1: said, don't we all? I don't know, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, well.
1: Not everybody that? made a comment there. <laughs> Not everybody put down there who they take care of type of deal. Yeah. All right. So one other question that we heard inside the specialist group, which was fun to see, was, you know, do you put uh, ultra dress on the fenders? I, this is interesting because this goes into a little bit of a products and process type of discussion. Not everybody is going to spray dressing under a fender, right? First, let's talk about the benefits. I do love to. On something that has a little bit more, right? If it's a car, mm, no. Yeah, if right, it's a I little
2: think... more, if it's a little more raised, you got a little bit more wheel well exposure. You know, let's think Tahoe, raised truck. You know, big SUVs with that. don't the 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 tire doesn't take up the whole wheel well, so you have a little bit more visibility there. Those are more likely to be those large uh, all plastic, you know, enclosures in the wheel well, rather than a car usually just has. A little bit of plastic and it's not really visible all the time because the 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 wheel is so close to the to the to the fender there. This is getting a little bit weirder because of the carpet fender wells now, right? So you have a little Mm -hmm. bit of it's gotta be the right fender for me to do it. But I've always had the same process. This goes back to the time when, and let's give credit where it was due. Maguire's is the first one that kind of you know, came out with something that was super dilutable, right? You know, their their dressing was the first one that was like that high level of where ultra dress is now, where you can dilute it because you. I mean, solvent tire shine would get like cakey, and things would get attached to it, and and so I got out of that habit. But once we got a dilutable, and so what I like to do is that four to one, you know, dilution. But I also like to have it be, be a little bit wet under there. And so while it's wet, spray it all down because that water will actually help the diluted product flatten itself out during my detail. So I don't have to go in there with a sponge by hand or in level. It's kind of like motors, right? Once you got that ultra dilutable, like ultra dress type product, if you do it at like four to one while it's still kind of wet, you can go into those plastics and it'll kind of self-level. That wasn't always possible with with thicker or solvent-based dressings. They would get kind of streaky, those types of things.
1: And you would sometimes see, if you didn't do what you were saying, sometimes you would see the spray patterns, right? If you were using a dressing that uh, did not fully have a good run down the side, or as you're calling it, it's a much better self-leveling in a sense of it, you would see that visually. Now, the reasons to spray it under there I think there's gonna be some people that go, well, why would you ever do it? Well, you would do it A, because you got that aesthetic view of the tire. And if you got a real gray looking, like it just it really is the we love this term, dialed, right? It really is the next level of a good detail. We would do it even beyond a full detail. If you just got a regular like mini detail that we were going to Put on tire shine, a lot of times I would go ahead and spray some dressing up under the fender, let it go ahead and do it. The cautions, though, we do have to talk about is the overspray.
2: Yes. Yes. is,
1: Is still in play. You still do have to worry about spraying and then a little bit of it flying around and hitting another part of the vehicle and leaving a little... Mm, dot Uh, leave it a little meh
2: yeah so that's where you got to get your sprayer underneath the body right you got to make sure that that sprayer is not out away from the body you you know what i mean you got to get under the wheel and so even if that means you got to get your hand into an uncomfortable place as long as you're sort of protecting yourself from being outward away from that and trying to you know, do it a little quicker, that's when you kind of get that, the wind hits it, you know, kind of takes it onto the side.
1: And it's also, you know, as your sprayer, opening up that spray nozzle so it's not such a a big fan will help give us a straighter, it's going to put out a lot more product, and that's why people don't do it, right? Yeah. But... I'm doing this so that I can make that look better, and I want to make sure I don't have tire shine all over the rest of the vehicle. I'm going to open up my spray pattern a little bit, put out a little bit more, and not have such a fine mess. And
2: that's And that's the important point of why you dilute it. And so what people don't realize is when you dilute it, you're actually cutting that silicone that's in every dressing. And so the reason it can self-level is because there's not such a high concentration of silicone, which back in the solvent days when those were the only options you have, that was heavy silicone. It was never going to self-level. You always kind of had to go back and hit it up. When you dilute it, you dilute that silicone that's in every dressing, which then allows it to self-level. So you don't really want to use this at full strength because if you do it your way at full strength, you are going to get those streaks because you have such a high concentration of, of silicone ingredient, right? There's a big misconception that there's no silicone in water-based dressings. Every dressing has silicone. Every dressing is either solvent or water-based. And so when you dilute it to that four to one, that gives you the ability to dilute that silicone a little bit, which allows it to self-level. So make sure you do the dilution process.
1: So, and you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, and this is Let's just go ahead and talk about dress for a second of why you would use it here. Being able to dilute it so far out gives it such a versatile use, not only for the fenders, the, the tires, the engines or different places that people might use it. Being able to dilute it one to four, or one to two straight um, is really beneficial to Few people on the market have that availability. So some of the things we have done, as we continue to always go back and we like to dial our stuff in a little bit more, is we worked on our emulsion. We worked on that scent, reduce that scent down. I think we've got now inside of Ultra Dress a longer, a longer time that you've got a higher shine on the tire, which is everybody is a little different. You're the mat more of the mat guy. I do, especially on the Jeep. I do like to put on a good, good high gloss shine. I'll go through and taper it down before I go drive off. I don't want it all over the place, but I do like a real high gloss shine, and so that's what we worked on.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the benefit of a dilutable dressing is there are some people you might like it at one and a half to one, right? That may be the perfect amount of shine that you like. It may be two to one, maybe three to one, maybe four to one. I mean, I know some of my guys. They love ultra dress at like 10 to 1. Like they they just they just want it to just have a hint that that something's on the surface, right? So the the end result is is why you should be using and you'll go to ultra dress and a lot of people will go, well, this is an expensive dressing. The best reason to use an expensive dressing is you can cut it to your needs, and now you know you may like your engine bay at 3 to 1 you may like your tires at 4 to 1 you may like this at this dilution and that you know fender wells at a, at a 10 to 1 you know whatever it may be and so now you're not using a gallon of product straight usually what you're doing is you're dialing in and being able to personalize how you like things to look and that is a huge benefit we basically we've never used a water based dressing in my business that wasn't dilutable and it was always expensive quote unquote to the people that didn't know what they were looking at, but we were getting four gallons out of a gallon. Right. And it's not because we were trying to be cheap or what. It's how we like things to look right. It's like, it's, that's the aesthetic we wanted and our clients ended up liking it. And it's like, well, what a benefit that I'm buying this gallon for $80, but my use price is $20 a gallon because I'm diluting it four to one. We we got where we liked. If it was three to one, we'd have done it three to one. If it was two to one, you know, whatever. But you can see how a dilutable dressing could be such an advantage in your business. Or if you're a weekend detailer, you can go to the car show and your tires can look different from everyone else because you have it dialed into, you know, 2.5 to one because that's what you like. Right. And that, I think that's the coolest part about a dilutable dressing.
1: All right, inside the specialist group also, HyperClean Specialist Group, Eric, he mentioned this is a great little quote from him, and he's asking a question at the same time. It spurred off a lot of great conversation, quite a few comments of people giving their advice and talking through it. I, I love this discussion. So here's what Eric wrote. Our cars aren't driven daily and they're garage kept at home and work. Could I get by with a wash, chemical decon of fuego? and then apply Uno. I don't own a polisher, nor do I have paint correction skills. So if possible, I'd prefer not to induce marring with clay media for mechanical decon. All right. Well, let's Great just question. start off. It is. Great question. Can, right? That's, that's ultimately is what he says. Can you?
2: Yes. The answer is you can do anything you want to do It's your car. This is the problem, and I know some people brought this up in the answer, so let's repeat it here. When you aren't applying the coating to a truly naked surface, you could be harming that product lasting and acting the way you want. So you can do anything. And there's plenty of people that coat over contamination because they're like him. I don't want to mar the paint, so I'd rather just put some protection on. And when when I get down the road and I want to polish my car or in his case have the skills to polish the car, I'll go ahead and clay it. There's a next part of this though. I feel that Eric has probably heard a lot of people say that about marring the paint and I feel like if we're being up front, it's a lot of people trying to tell you that all of this marring has to happen when you clay a vehicle and that's just not true. You don't have to induce tons of marring on your paint to clay the vehicle. Now, Marty, we can dive into this. Clay towels, clay mitts, which we sell a clay mitt, uh, clay sponges, those types of things are being sold as this is safer than clay bar. In your experience, Marty, what is that?
0: Safer than clay bar? Oh, yes. I don't know. Eee. Not safer
1: than clay bar, maybe? I, I, The, the ultimate, which is you're going to get into, is different styles of clay that can be used. Now, is a clay bar safe and is a clay mitt safe? If done properly. Yes. Right? I mean, if you use enough lubrication, if you do
0: enough stuff, I mean, I would still say the answer is yes.
2: Yeah. But... We've seen a lot more horror stories in the last five to seven years mm. than we saw previously. And so what were those horror stories? Used a claymet, my my paint got all marred up, scratched up, whatever. I've also seen something that people are doing that I'm gonna I'm gonna highly disagree with. Using your iron remover as lubrication. For your clay process, I want you to think about this. Let's say it starts to break down the iron, but it doesn't fully break down an iron particle, but it started to release it from the clear coat. And I go over with my clay towel and that piece of iron's now in my clay towel and I start to wipe across. Hmm. I got a big problem. Now there's a piece of metal in my clay towel that I'm wiping across the surface.
1: Would well, I have not have picked up that metal anyway with the,
2: you 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 would have but remember part of the reason to use fuego or an iron remover is because a lot of times that stuff that was deep into the clear coat you never got it out with just a clay bar otherwise we wouldn't need chemical decontamination right it would all just come out with the clay bar well what we found out was everything wasn't coming out with the clay bar okay that's why the invention of products like fuego because now we realize Yeah, you can get some of that stuff off, but a lot of that stuff needs to happen from a chemical reaction, not from the clay bar itself, because it is embedded so deep. A lot of times you weren't picking all of that up. You were picking some of it up, but remember, you were also needing your clay bar all the time, not necessarily what you watch guys do with a clay mitt or a clay towel, even though they want you to believe that, oh, I'm rinsing it off all the time. Mm, I've watched a lot of people use that, including my own guys you get a clay towel in your hand, man, you're, you're buzzing some paint pretty fast.
1: So to his question, this is where I find the interesting discussion as we're having fun with it is so just using Fuego is that just got to be good enough. then, right. To his question, why do I need to interject a clay bar? If, if the well, Fuego is going to pull remember, everything
2: up, it's it's not going to pull up, you know, uh, let's say somebody painted their house, you have some overspray, you, you have different, you know, uh, you can have industrial fallout that's not iron that could be on the top of your paint. A lot of people will see this you know in, in higher population areas or where you have industry, uh, if you live near like uh, you know factories and different things like that. there's a lot of things look, Fuego's great for iron remover. Everything else that can contaminate your paint, Fuego's really not going to have an effect on it. It's not designed to have an effect on it. But here is my point. If you use a high-quality, ultra-fine clay bar, and you have plenty of lubrication, I promise you, if done properly, the odds you're going to see marring, and I've run this test on high-qualified individuals, and I've said it on this podcast before, they couldn't point to the marring. I'd be like, okay, you think I'm going to mar the paint? I want you to show me the exact areas. I went over a hood and a fender. They were looking, looking. They point at something. I'm like, no, that's that. That's a sanding mark. That's not this. That's not that. And so, what you find is, I'd always love, always to polish my car after a clay. Sometimes, in his position, he's not super comfortable with polishing. I'd still want the coating to act and do what it's supposed to do. I would get an ultra fine clay bar, plenty of lubrication, and I wouldn't worry too much about the damage you're going to induce because I promise there won't be that much if you do it properly
0: okay the key
1: is ultra fine clay bar that has become a little bit harder to find same as a full service car wash has become a bit harder to find most people have transitioned into needing speed yep speed a lot of times comes with having a little bit more aggression right Oh, yeah. Car wash is going to be more aggressive than us just out there with our hands nice and gently washing. And the clay bars that we know today are generally not fine. The majority of them are medium to heavy. And the majority of them, everybody has moved to us, included a clay pad, a clay towel, some, and you'll have some people. Oh, well, there's a fine one I found some. Yeah. But most are not fine. most are medium to heavy. Yep. all to help speed, all to help remove quicker, all to be faster, faster, faster. But crafting and dialing in many times takes finesse. Yeah. that was going to be achieved with a fine grid.
2: And, and I think you, you you know people need to realize this that most people that are manufacturing clay are selling them to dealerships or some of the 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 what you would call auction. Higher production. So here's a car. It's been sitting outside for a year and a half in the auction lot. It's heavily contaminated. I can't even get through the contamination with an ultra fine clay bar. And so if those were sent out, those auction houses, those dealerships that had 50 different types of clay bars, right? And that's just not what they're going to do. They're in the business of we see trash all day, man. Give us something that works. So what does a vendor give them? Here's this purple. Ultra heavy duty clay bar, go to town. It'll take paint off if you want it, right? It's because of who they're servicing. So when you're detailing a car, clay is one of those things that's a commodity. And most of that commodity is being used by who? Dealerships, auction houses, and those types of places. So do some research. You can find ultra fine clay bars. I'm sure There's some reputable companies that sell them on Amazon or other places that you can find. But if you find an ultrafine clay bar, you don't have to worry too much about heavy marring if you lubricate the surface. Okay. That's the other thing. You can damage anything with zero lubrication. So let's make sure that we're all upfront about this, that you're right. It's not only the process, but it's picking the right product. And many people making clay have abandoned ultra fine clay bars because the majority of their customers, again, are dealerships or auction houses that just run into hammered cars all the time.
1: All right. So Eric and most people, after they get through the clay, because clay is still, as you said, is definitely one of the most misunderstood. And a lot of times questioned, you know, how do I do it or what do I do after they, they get through the clay. The next thing they're going to do, which you said, most people are going to polish inside of polishing, there's a question that always continues to get wrapped around. People are curious. What do I do? How much, right? Is it one dot? Four dots. <laughs> How much do I put on that pad? I mean, I, I got to put a lot of product on a pad to make my polish be better,
0: don't I?
2: Yeah, this is this has taken on a life of its own. I mean, you and I come from the world of, you know, lay your bead down, pick up the bead, roll, right? Uh, You look at it now, you have a lot of companies and I would say a hundred percent of the people promoting this are probably selling compound and polish as well as pads. So they have every incentive. Like I saw something on pads recently, Hey, you know, use three pads per car to keep your pads cool. It's like, no, I gave you the way to do it. If there's 10 panels on the car, put 10 pads down and do a panel, rip the pad off. Next panel, next panel, next panel. Your pads will last forever. But the pad company is telling you, ah, eh, three or four pads. Well, guess what? That heat is going to break it down. Right. So there is a way to be more efficient. And this is now you get into compound and polish and how much. Look, there's some ultra soft uh ultra soft cars paint systems where I've put, you know, two dots of 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 a polish into a into a thirty two ounce spray bottle, filled it with water, shook it up, and that's all the polish I ever used on the car. It's called water polishing. And again, for those that come into Black GMC, sometimes it's really nice to use something with just a tiny bit of cut on it. What I find is guys telling you to prime your pad or put all this polish on your pad or compound. The tests have been run on YouTube. Guys have put gloss meters and shown it's less less effective. The thing I've always found is I always want to control how much abrasive I have on my pad. If I felt I needed more abrasive, I could put a couple extra dots. Because with every dot, I'm putting more abrasive on the surface. If my pad's already loaded up and caked with abrasive, I really have zero control of reducing that. I can only really add to that. So I have less control by doing it that way than more control. So I don't do it. Uh, I start every car out with four or five dots. You know, let's say pea-sized drops. But there are plenty of times I've gone down to three. There's plenty of times I've gone up to six. And it gives me control over how much abrasive I have on the surface. I've wanted that control because that's how you really dial in a process, in my opinion.
1: I got, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying in your opinion, because I got to ask you a little bit more about your process. I don't ever understand how somebody could one panel, pull off the pad, put a new pad on and do a panel, do that panel, pull the pad off and do another panel. That does not compute in my mind at all. I... You're going to tell me, right, that you're going to achieve better results, your pad's going to last longer, Uh, it's better for you, and I I hope that you'll explain it a little bit more for everybody else, including myself, who would go, wow, how do you ever get anything done? That seems that would take forever.
2: Yeah, so when it's staged, it doesn't take forever. Number one, you get really good at putting your pad on. I mean, you know this. Now, you putting a pad on a polisher doesn't take you any time. Right. The other thing is the cut and the finish you're going to get from a fresh pad is infinitely faster than working with a pad that's already been on another panel. Okay. so a lot of people, to me, think about this wrong. A fresh pad, to me, gives me ultimate control. The minute that that pad starts to get filled up with clear coat, which is what you're cutting off the surface, now I'm at the behest of how's that pad doing with all that stuff in the pad? And so you'll see a lot of guys go to blowing out their pad. Well, you want to talk about inefficient. You don't know if you got everything out of the pad, the stuff, the debris flying all over your shop. Doesn't matter what system you got unless you got some, you know, down draft, $100,000 paint booth system. I personally like to know these are the results I'm getting because of the pad, because of the compound, because of the polish. And the more that I control and keep things fresh, the more I know what's happening. So let's say you polish a whole hood and then you go to the fender. The fender starts acting weird and they go, oh, this must have been a repaint. No, you have all the clear coat from the hood in the pad. So now you can't tell me if it's been, if there's an actual problem because the surface you were working on had a fresh pad. This fender doesn't have a fresh pad. So you haven't controlled that environment. So you see a lot of guys that say, I went around a car with two pads and every panel act differently. Yeah. You kept getting more and more stuff in your pad, and it started reacting way different. As the pad got more worn down, it got more heated up. The pores opened up more. You had more product on there. You had more clear coat in the pad, all those kinds of things. So the reason that that I went to the system, number one, pads are very pricey, okay? So when you run a big company, you want your pads to be well cared for, right? Number one, the number one thing that fails is overheating the pad. I've eliminated that problem. So we, we can have pads that go forever because they're never overused, right? They're never, ever heated up to a dangerous place. But like I said, everybody has their own system. For me, when I'm cutting and when I'm polishing, I want to know what I'm seeing is the same thing I saw on the last panel. And I want to control everything I can control in my world. Now, if it's a repaint, I'm out, that's out of my control. But the pad and the amount of dots I use and what I decided, it only works on a on, the, on a fresh pad that you're able to use.
1: Yeah, and here's the here's the flip side or the interesting part of, of this little discussion. I never did that, right? I, I would fall in line. I was in the camp of the guy that would use a couple of pads around a whole car. You would have even possibly, I don't even say possibly, let me just go ahead and be the guy that is okay with admitting it. Use the same pad around the entire sure. vehicle, right? I, I charged accordingly to that. Yeah. And this would be the part that some people are, are gonna ask. And it was even asked in a PPF question, which we'll get to. How do I even charge for all that?
2: Well, think about this. If you do, and we've advocated for guys to just become one step specialists. So go buy the hyperclean one pad pair it with the polish that works best for you. And guess what? Now all you're doing is every month ordering more pads, right? So the system I got on when I was building out my company, and even today, we will just order a certain number of pads every month. Okay. By the time you look up, you got a whole cabinet full of pads, but you didn't buy a hundred of them at the same time. So if you're just getting your start, this isn't always possible. It wasn't possible for me. But I just became systematic of, I want to build out my system. And when you build out a system, you're going to need more and more pads. If you go to an ultra busy shop, you and I have been, if you came to my business, you'd be like, damn, dude, there's like 700 pads here, a thousand pads. Well, that didn't happen overnight. We took care of the old pads. We kept adding new pads. And so it never hit our bank account all at once. It was just built up over time. And so if you're getting your start, yeah, this can sound like, well, I'm going to have to spend, you know, uh, 120 bucks on pads to, to buy 10 of them or 150 bucks on pads. It's not available to me. Okay, well, then buy five and then next month buy five more and then next month buy five after that. And all of a sudden now you got more than enough to do every car you ever run into as a one man show. Right. The problem is when you go to people's shops, you see 50 different pads. And then you go, oh, this guy doesn't have a system, right? Because you can always use the same pad and the same compound and polish. How much abrasive are you putting on? Are you, uh, you know, we're very famous for doing two dots of compound, two dots of polish on our one steps, right? Are you trying all the things at your disposal to make your system work? And that's the importance I found when I was teaching guys of always using a fresh pad because now we limit them thinking something's going wonky. We just start playing with the actual chemistry of how much abrasive we're putting on the pad, and and we've been able to to, to have a lot of success with that.
0: Mm. I
1: yeah i I always just questioned right, so that's why I've kind of brought it up. Like when you you have that grade of a system, it makes sense. Then you you get to charge a little bit more you get to journey through some things differently than the guy that, that never tries to venture out past. Uh, I think it it definitely is a a quality, you know, it it is a, you know, a dialed sort of level to it. I would be fine putting up my work next to yours as well as to everybody else's. Right. And I'm sure most other people would say the same thing. Sure. The, it's really is, becomes a, process and a purpose type discussion, which I hope that listeners will get out of it. The purpose of doing this and dialing the process of what it means long-term. Now, the question that, that was asked, and this was, this was a question that was asked by Martin inside the, the specialist group, inside the hyperplane specialist group is, well, if I'm doing something or not doing something, how do I know if I'm supposed to charge it or not to charge it? Now, specifically, it was This is a love that he asked this question. This was a polishing before PPF, which is a discussion that we have had on the episodes. And if people want to know the the answer to that, they can go listen to that uh, or they can go listen to or read your post as you comment back to him. But let's let's dive into this for a, a, a little bit. You know, what does it look like doing PPF? Do I always have to? Do I then charge accordingly? Give us a quick breakdown on that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, what I said to Martin and I'll I'll stand by this forever is most PPF shops don't even own a polisher. They can tell you a lot of things, but I've been to a lot of PPF shops and these guys are in the film business. They're not in the detailing business and they're proud of that. Uh, These guys don't cut a lot of paint. They don't polish a lot of paint. That certainly isn't everybody. There's a tiny percentage that, that, that cut paint every time before PPF and they charge accordingly. But the number one best reason that a really high-end PPF shop told me that they got out of polishing is because of contamination. Now, you think about all the dust and debris that you build up polishing and compounding cars. It's like, man, I had my guys in the back. They'd be washing the car for like two hours to get every little piece of dust out of the edges and the cracks and the crevices. Because remember, that's where PPF lives. Cracks, crevices. You know, the film is going over uh, you know, into the door
1: or dies, huh? Lives yeah. or dies. There's yeah. money to and die.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So that's that's what he said to me. And it, it it resonated with what I saw at everyone else's shop, is that they may not have made a conscious effort to eliminate compound and polishing for the reasons we say you should probably get out of that, which is the clear coat thickness and the reduced, you know, the reduced nature of paint systems. A lot of them got out of it because they're like, dude our film would just be contaminated to hell. And, you know, we'd have to hire a guy to go out there and wash cars for two hours a day. And we had to be done with it. And you know what? It's a business decision. Turns out film has gotten so good. They made the right business decision. Most of these guys, because most of imperfections are covered up with PPF. Now I know there's a big debate about if that's right. Or if that's, I'm not in that debate today. I'm just saying to Martin's question, 110% most, PPF shops are not. Matter of fact, they won't even cut paint in the same room they lay PPF. So there's the solution to the problem, right? They have a whole separate part of their shop where they don't even want the contamination in the same shop as where their PPF is being laid.
1: So there's also a theory, though, that I know I've heard people that push back and they go, "Yeah, but you're being cheap." Same as I was probably being cheap of you know maybe not grabbing that extra pad or you know not going around the whole way, right? There is a theory that you're being cheap for your customer. And and there's this idea of of cheapness. Now, there's a fun little question inside of that post is, where would I go if I wanted to, uh, I think he was going to do some hockey equipment or something and just throw some PPF on some stuff. A, is there a place, should I go get cheap PPF? And You know, I think we both would go, you know, probably just, I think one of the people say, go to a PPF shop and just see if you can buy some of theirs. Don't look for cheap. But there's some people that just automatically, whether they're going to throw a grenade at another guy for saying they're cheap, or they're just going to be cheap in general and think, how do I get something cheap? Like, the whole cheap world's interesting.
2: (laughs) I mean, you know... And it's not directly to this comment, right? He was talking about, you know, some hockey equipment, but, but it's, it's nothing good is cheap, right? It just isn't that that's not how the world of economics works. Things are cheap because they're cheap. They're cheaply made. They're cheaply thought about. There's no purpose behind that company being in the business, right? If you look at Hyperclean, the reason we don't have cheap stuff is because we do everything with purpose. We want ultra dress to work. It's the way it's supposed to that costs money. That costs research and development. it costs higher quality ingredients. it you know this is the the joke running joke on here about a twenty dollar wheel cleaner. Just do the math yourself. How much active ingredient could be in that product? Think about how it works. so most things that are cheap can ever be good, and you're right, it is a strange world. It's like everybody's trying to cut a corner, but then you want to ask why you're not getting top dollar to do things. Well, those things don't go together, man. They just, they never have, they never will. You can't be cheap on one side and expect everybody to pay you top dollar. Because guess what? You've had this in your life, family, friend, a colleague, you know, they're the cheapest human being in the, on the planet. They're never the most successful person you'll ever meet.
1: No, I, for like I definitely, as you said, you've had people, number one came to my mind, cheapest person I remember
0: was my dad. Cheapest, always cheap, always safe. He's going to go to the grocery store. He's going to buy always safe. He wasn't going to buy Del Monte. Yeah.
1: And his, I asked him later in life, like, dad, why? Why do you, owe and he said, well, I grew up out of, you know, where yeah. we grew up and how we grew up and how, like, okay. But then his mindset never, never Evolved. elevated. Yeah. yeah. He stayed cheap. And, and he missed out on so much of life yep. because he was cheap. Yes. It wasn't just going to the grocery store.
0: Yep. It he bleeds would go into everything. To, bleeds into
1: everything else, right? To my point, which I've said before, he would have these giant manuals and would learn how to fix his car. Oh, well, that's not being cheap, is it? Well, when he'd go to the store, he'd buy the cheapest part, and he wasn't going to pay somebody to put it on because he was cheap. I find it really funny around car life and being cheap. Where, where does somebody be cheap and where they don't? I laughed the other day, and I told you this story. I laughed because I was picking up this camera, and this, this videographer was talking to me, and I was chatting through things with him. Well, what does he do? Why does he use He's been using this camera to shoot cars, and we were talking about the different cars. Is. And he looks over at my Nissan Titan, and he goes, well, you're not a car guy,
0: are you? What? you think i'm cheap because i drive a titan
2: Yeah, like, it's, it's is my that work what truck. it is yeah, yeah. It, it, it dude it, and what was he driving
1: <laughs> a mustang
2: <laughs> yeah i mean why didn't you buy a bugatti dude right like you can do that with anything but you know you have a truck that works but you're not sitting there wrenching on that truck you do pay somebody good money to fix a water pump that goes out or whatever look man a lot of times when you get a deal on something and anything in life, it just kind of falls in your lap. That's the way to get a deal in life. It's not thinking that spending all this time searching out a deal. Like you, you have to have friends or family that come to mind or, or colleagues or people we run into. They're like, oh, yeah, I need this product, but I'll wait till the next sale. So do you need the product or you don't need the product? So what do they do? They go buy a harsh degreaser at the local auto parts store for three bucks and they burn they burn their rims. So waiting for that sale didn't actually pan out, did it? You just damaged or, your set of rims.
1: Or they do what you said, they go and start scrubbing on them. Oh yeah. Because it didn't fully clean them all the way. And so they go to start. And I think that's where I kind of run into this cheapness around, you know, that guy's calm man, thinking about my dad, like. My journey on vehicles it's it's also been a do you take care of what you have yep, so I think that there's a there's a part of being cheap is just where I don't want it cheap people people that are cheap are different than class of ownership yep you've given the story I think you did it on a on a recent episode about going into a dealership and you went into a dealership that allowed you to have. What you wanted in your, you know, yeah. financial realm.
2: Whatever you wanted to buy, right? I, I didn't enter to- a dealership where I was like, uh, can't afford that, can't afford that, can't, you know, I didn't have that. I went to the place where I go, pick whatever you want on the lot.
1: And there's part of it that means you will take care of it. You'll have a oh, class yeah. of your ownership. Yeah. Cheap doesn't mean that you didn't buy the newest. Doesn't mean you didn't buy the hottest. That's not what cheap means. Cheap oh, yeah. for me, definitely, when I got into cars and top of the like this and chemicals, and it's, it's no, I don't want to be cheap because I don't want to scrub on that rim, as you said, and, yeah. and, and cause damage or take too much time because my dad used to spend his whole Sunday or Saturday afternoons. Whereas I, you know, I'm going to buy this. It works well. I'm going to make sure it's maintained. I'm going to take care of it. I'm not buying the biggest and the best. But I'm going to yep. buy what I want, and I'm going to take care of it. That means on Sunday afternoon, I can go have a beer on my back patio. Oh, yeah. Now, it's not the most amazing back patio, but it's my back patio, and I take care of mine. There is a class of ownership that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to buy the
2: lowest things that are always cheap. Yeah, no. And, and matter of fact, your ownership will be better. Yeah. Right? So what we're what we're really talking about here is how do I live – The life that I can afford to the best of my ability. Yeah. Okay. So the only way you can live your life to the best. And I always share this. I hear all these horror stories from, from, from people about renovating their home. We did an entire renovation while living in our house. Didn't have any issues. We also didn't come close to paying the cheapest price. And it was a painful price. It all paid off. Because you want to know why? My house was renovated in like 40 days. And I got people that are like, my kitchen's been ripped up for eight months. We can't find the guy. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, you went with 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 Joe Blow over here that was charging you one tenth of what the reputable guy was charging you. And if you weren't able to pay what you needed to pay, just don't renovate in that moment. Right? Nobody's saying wait the rest of your life to renovate your kitchen. But you should have paid 10 times what you're paying. So what happens is you don't get to experience your house in all of its glory because why? You were cheap. So let's just say you're a guy out there, you have a Honda Civic. Good car. Car that's going to last. I can have that car looking mint for the next 100 years. Right? That doesn't make me cheap, it makes me the opposite. I have pride in what I I did. I chose the right products, I used the right processes. I did everything to enjoy that Civic to the best of its ability. It's never going to be a Ferrari, but guess what? I was proud to drive it. I enjoyed it. It was a good car for me. I paid my mechanic the right amount of money to always have things fixed when they broke properly using the high-quality parts and high-quality mechanics. Guess what? I never had a cheap ownership experience either where my Civic that should have lasted 250,000 miles at 110 the part that they put in busted because I went to this backyard mechanic over here and now it's been in the shop and this and that. And guess what? Being cheap is way different than it's almost the exact opposite of taking pride. People that take pride that I found are never cheap people. The people that think they're taking pride in their stuff and being cheap have never really taken true pride in what they own. They just they just kid themselves into believing they're taking pride. Because I'm sure when your dad fixed the car, three weeks later you hear a clunk, 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 and you're like, dude, I thought you fixed this. Well, I did, but uh well, guess what, man? You didn't get to enjoy the car all because you did you thought you were doing the right thing. And again, I have the same thing with with family on this. Just do the right thing and pay the right cost. And I promise you, you're gonna enjoy. Life more, you're gonna be on your back patio having that beer, not out there sweating in the middle of the summer fixing a radiator. You don't know how to fix that well, and didn't buy the right part because it was too expensive, and it just creates havoc in your life. And there's so many guys caught up in saving a buck that they never actually save those bucks anyway. It just goes down a different drain.
1: Yeah, that's that's ultimately where they they get to, and that's the disappointing part, right? Like. Ultimately trying to save doesn't really get you that far when you're cheap, having yeah, value and finding things that have value is the progression that everybody should have. So,
2: and it's the progression that you and I went through, right? You Absolutely. didn't know, you didn't know better mm-hmm. till you knew better. Mm-hmm. And then once you knew better, you kind of want to share with everybody like, dude, don't be a knucklehead like me. I, I, I once took my car to this idiot over here. All it did was create another $2,500 bill. I could have just gotten it fixed properly for 700 bucks. I didn't. That's the definition of being cheap, thinking that you can save a buck when it's just going to cost you more in the end.
1: Well, great talk. We'll see you next week.
2: All right, guys. Talk to you soon.
1: See ya.